0: Well good morning and welcome to Grace, I'm Pastor Ryan. As we continue through the book of Nehemiah, we come to one of the most difficult challenges that Nehemiah has faced to date. We will see how his response leaves for us lessons on how to properly handle opposition, resistance, and frustration. I'd like to invite you to follow along as we take a look at the struggle between the workers on the wall and the antagonism and hostility from Nehemiah's opponents. Thanks for listening. Well, on our uh, vacation trip, uh, we got to go visit my sister who lives in Ohio, and like any good younger sister would do, she had a list of chores for me. So uh, one of those things that she asked if I could uh, help them with in their new house, they just bought a house, was they wanted to, uh, in their remodel work, add uh, recessed lighting. Uh, those cans that go up into the ceiling, and I have never installed recess lighting before, but like a very confident flunker, I jumped right in, head first, and uh, got, all, got all my wiring set up, tied it in, ran the new lines down to the switches, uh, got, the, uh, got the cans all installed, and then in my moment of triumph, you know where it's a ready, flip the switch, three, two, one, nothing. Are you kidding me? All right, so then your brain starts going in high gear, right, you start troubleshooting and thinking, all right, where could the problem be? And so I went and checked the breaker, breaker was good, I checked the switch, switch was good, I uh, checked all my connections, they were all taped up, they were good. All right, that's not it, so I got out my tester and I started going around and I got power coming from uh, the power line, I got it running to the junction box, I got power running even to the cans. Are you kidding me? I just, I just couldn't figure this out, it was driving me nuts. Anyone ever been there? You ever been there where you just, I got nothing left. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a word I'm gonna regret. Uh, and so I, uh, I excused myself before it got worse and I went and just sat on her porch and I hung my head. That's all I did. And I, I, I took a moment out there in the sunshine and I just kinda, uh, just you know, recentered myself and uh, thought, you know, I never read the instructions on those lights. Let's give that a try, so I went and uh, checked out the instructions, and you wouldn't believe it. Oh, you probably would. I now know better, but the lights weren't even hooked up to the can. The the bubble wrap was still over the connector, so I had power running here, but this wasn't even connected to the light, so that's why they didn't turn on. Um, I had a moment of opposition, that moment of frustration. And uh, God, in his wisdom, allowed me to figure it out. And sure enough, after I did hook up each of the lights, boom, it came on. It looked beautiful. It looked wonderful. Um, how about you? How, how do you do in those moments? You, you ever have those times where you're just stretched thin, where it just feels like this is not going my way as much as I try, every effort I have, it's just not working? It's hard. It's been said that uh, life is 90%... Uh, how you respond to the 10% of what happens to you. I reverse that, but 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. Uh, We're going to keep moving faithfully through the book of Nehemiah. Chapter 4 is where we're at today. Uh, I'd like you to turn there, Nehemiah chapter 4. And as we do, we're going to encounter a story where Nehemiah has some opposition, He runs into some difficulty. He runs into some hardship. And our goal for this morning is going to be evaluate how does he respond. I'm entitling this message, uh, Nehemiah, for the protection of the community. Because what we're going to find is that there are some individuals who we've already met in the story who are really going to step up. They're going to challenge Nehemiah, and they're going to oppose him. Bring him to the brink, bring him to the point of feeling like he wants to walk away and hang his head and weep uh, or, or, or give up. But what I want us to pay attention to is, is how he responds. There's really kind of two halves to chapter 4. Uh, one where there is some threats that are made. And then the second half is where they actually, things get very serious. So I want you to watch for that. We're going to read through it. And then we're going to look at those two sections for some <coughs> observations. And finally, four points of conclusion to finish off our time this morning. Nehemiah chapter 4. 754. Page 754 in your pew Bibles. Here we go. Verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. And was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even if a fox climbed up on it. I feel like I need to give this guy a voice. Don't you feel like he needs a voice? Let me give him a voice. What are they building? Even if a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. That's what I think Tobias sounded like. All right, look at Nehemiah's response. Verse 4. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. Verse 7. But when Sanballat Tobiah... The Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men from Ashad heard that the repairs, to Jerusalem, the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said... The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble. We can't rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who live uh, near them and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting by families with their swords, spears, and bows. I looked looked things over and stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all of the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we're widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears. From the first light of dawn... Till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night, so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. Things are getting serious in Jerusalem. Uh, it's, it's getting to that point where uh, you would have opportunity to cut and run uh, things are getting hard, I just don't know if this is going to work, I can see the writing on the wall, maybe we should bail and Nehemiah shows us a, a response to opposition a response to difficulty that we need to pay close attention to this morning uh, in these two sections uh, the first one I'm calling just words and talk right? words and talk, you know when uh, you start hearing things when somebody's saying something, right? That's what—that's where it starts out. The first thing I want you to see is that uh, Nehemiah faced insults. This showed up in verse 2. Uh, did you see it here with uh, Sanballat in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria? He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Uh, the, I think the idea here is not that they're going to, uh, rebuild. Because uh, they're not working on the temple. They're working on the wall. So when he says, Will they offer sacrifices, he's really taunting them and taunting their God, saying, will they call upon their God so that he will take care of it? That's their idea. And what we need to recognize is that when the children of God are working for God's purposes, an insult or an opposition against that work is not an opposition against us. Who is it an opposition against? It's an opposition against God. And that's really what's going on here. And yet, Nehemiah does not take it personally. He doesn't recognize this as something that's being attacked to him in in his own place, in his own shoes. He understands that this is an attack, though against the builders, though against the workers. Ultimately, an attack against God. So he faced insult. Secondly, he faced ridicule. Look with me here in verse 3. This is Tobiah. What are they building? Even if a fox climbed up on it. He would break down the wall of stones. Uh, do, do you get the picture here? How big is a fox? It's just a tiny little critter, right? And, and, and what, what are they saying? Oh, that work that you're doing. That's no good. That's terrible. That's going to fall right down. You get a tiny little rat up there. It's going to crumble. How do you do when you're insulted? How do you do when you're ridiculed? I, I just know in my own heart, this is a place where I need to continue to grow in. I remember being discipled by uh, the pastor of my wife's church, where he told me once that when he receives opposition, he doesn't defend himself. But that's like my first instinct. Is that not your first instinct? When someone says something against either the work of your hands or against you, the first thing you and I want to do is be like, "Hey, wait! wait a minute now, let me just tell you, and that's not true, and that's not what I said. That's like my first instinct. That's what I want to do is defend myself. Especially when uh, it's being misconstrued or, or being looked on from a point of opposition, or resistance. That's not what Nehemiah does. I want you to see the first thing that he does. Number one, I call it patience. Number one, Patience. I don't know if you realize this, but if you look in your Bible between verses 3 and 4, it never says that Nehemiah answered them back. He, he, he didn't play tit for tat. He didn't give eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He didn't even re- retaliate. He didn't say a word back to Sanballat or Tobiah or all of the other people. And you've got to understand, it's not just these two individuals. It's a whole group of people that are gathering together here to oppose God's work. The first thing he does is he kind of collects himself. first thing he does is he kind of recenters himself to recognize that the pledge of his life and his people's life is to work not for them, but to work for God. And so the second thing that he does after he has patience is he prays. He prays to God. So that little gap between three and four, you might write in your Bible, patience, he does not retaliate. And then in verse 4, we see what he does do. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. And then look what he asks God to do turn their insults back on in their hoods, give them over as plunder and land. And he has this list of things that he recognizes God and his justice will do. It's what we read in. Uh, Psalm chapter 5, a unique kind of psalm called an imprecatory psalm, just a really fancy word that means that God would come and bring justice against those who are uh, opposing the people of God. In my house, um, if you have children that are siblings, I bet they never fight, right? They never fight. (laughs) Uh, when Sadie is kind of hovering over Micah especially if he is playing something on a tablet or on a computer or watching something she's kind of look at me pay attention to me um, he kind of starts "Ah, get away and you know what if you if you as a parent let that continue pretty soon that's gonna be shoving and pushing and tears right I mean that's how it goes we've all seen it unfold many times And so what i got to do is pull him aside and say, hey, hey, hold on a minute. Are you in charge of Sadie? Are you in charge of her? Hmm. He's not. Who is in charge of his sister? (laughs) The mom and dad are in charge. So if you want to see a change in her behavior, if you want to see a change in her action, don't go to her. Go to the one who's in charge of her. You see that? This is what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah doesn't go and address the problem and say, hey, look, you guys really ought to shape up. It's not nice what you're saying. He doesn't do that. Instead, he goes to the one who is in charge of them. He goes to God. I think there's a lesson in here in our own lives uh, that when we encounter moments where people are just, if I hear that again, I'm going I'm to, Lord, help me. Like if you run into those moments, remember, you're not in charge of them. God is in charge of them. And we, like Nehemiah, need to... Do you remember a couple weeks back? See a need, hit your knees, right? We need to follow his pattern of his life again. He's got a need. Here he is facing opposition. And what does he do? He does not retaliate. Instead, he prays. And then, like the pattern of his life has shown us as we've studied this book, there's that new word again, pertinacity. Because what does he do in verse 6? Go ahead, look with me. What's it say? So we rebuilt the wall. There it is. I'm going to pray to God and then let's go. Let's keep going. I know God has called us to do this. I know he put it on my heart. So I'm not going to fear the opposition. I'm not going to fear the ridicule. I'm not going to go bother myself with them. I'm going to entrust what I'm facing to God. And then I'm going to pick up my tools. I'm going to get to work. And he lets his faith be shown by his actions. So this is, this is kind of the first section. Uh, the first half of the story where they're just facing kind of, hey, look what you're doing, and you guys will never make that. And you can offer sacrifices, and if a fox jumped up, that's just kind of words, right? Insults and ridicule. Let, let's move on to the next section because it gets pretty intense here. I'm calling this sticks and stones now, all right? Uh, the first thing I want you to see here is that Nehemiah not only faced insults and ridicule, he now faces some plotting. Uh, this shows up in verse 8. There it is. They all plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble. Hey, you know something? This happens. This happens. God forbid it would ever happen in our congregation. God forbid... That anybody here would ever be disgruntled with anything that happens and decide rather than do what Nehemiah is doing. You know what? I'm going to find somebody who thinks just like I do. Did you hear what Pastor Ryan did? you hear? Oh, I just didn't like God forbid that we be characterized as the people who do this. That get together and start to plot and scheme and gossip. Let's be honest for a moment. All of us here are sinners, right? Raise your hand if you're a sinner. Everybody good. So that means we're going to have friction at times. None of us here are perfect. Life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you choose to respond. And the way we respond has got to be, all right, Lord, I'm facing this issue. I know I don't like what I see, but I got to trust you. I got to pray to you. And then at that moment, rather than get together and plot, let's go address the situation with whatever needs to happen. But this is what Nehemiah faced. Nehemiah is facing now plotting. The kind, what, do you see what it said in verse 8? They want to stir up what? Trust. Stir up trouble. We're going we're to make it hard for him now. We're going to be a stick in the mud. Not only did he face plotting, but at this point he also faces threats. And you'll see this down in verse 11. Um, this is right after the, the workers are, are getting tired. The workers are getting to that point where they are exhausted, they've tried everything. This is not going well. And not only do we have the work to contend with, but we also have these troublemakers to contend with. In verse 11, they say, Also our enemy said, and here's the threat, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Serious stuff, church. Serious stuff. I'm not sure I would have lasted. I, I mean, if you would yeah, let's say we're going ahead with our new classroom build over here, right? And um, I start hearing, let's kill Pastor Ryan. <laughs> we're going to have a session meeting right now? That's what they're facing. It's not just words. Words. Uh, this is getting serious. They're saying we're going to be right there among you. Now, I actually think that these are kind of empty threats. I think that's what they are because if you can remember all the way back to chapter one, what was it that Nehemiah asked the king, King Artaxerxes for? Do you remember, safe passage through Trans-Euphrates and papers? Right. So he has permission from who? From the king. So if, if these troublemakers, right, because Tobiah and Sanballat, they were governors of kind of uh, region, region uh, territories. And you've got to understand that the trade routes were coming through their areas, which meant that as money was being exchanged, they got a little kickback from that. But what if Jerusalem gets rebuilt? What's going to happen to all those people that used to be coming to our? markets in our towns they're going to now funnel through here so you got to see behind the scenes there's this jealousy there's this other evil motivation behind their ridicule so i think the threats are more empty i think they're made to scare you and you know what that does for us as children of god it tests our faith it does it tests our faith is god gonna is god gonna show up is he gonna fight for us i want you to see how nehemiah responds with community number one Uh, With prudence. All right. So uh, they're upping the ante. Uh, We will as well. Look at verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. You know what that means? That means they could be seen with swords, with spears. Right. We're here. That's, that's prudence. I don't, I don't think anything's going to happen, but you're going to make sure you understand we're ready if it does. Not only that, but look what else he does. Uh, he, he says he posts them there by families. By families. I don't want you to miss that because one of the things that will cause a person to fight tooth and nail is protecting their what? Protecting their family. Yeah. So Nehemiah understands that if I get my families together, I know I've got my people all in on this. That unity and family here is in the mind of his prudence and what he chooses to do. Secondly, I want you to see his perspective. He says to all the people in verse 14. Don't be afraid of them. Empty threats, right? We're going to call their bluff. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. How cool is that verse? All all you and I need to do when we face hard times is don't be afraid. You remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I want you to look down at, at verse 15. He says, When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that do you see how he gives credit to God and that God had frustrated it? I want you to jump ahead too to verse 19 and 20 and look again at this perspective that Nehemiah gives. He says, and when I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is expansive and spread out. And we're widely separated from each other. So whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Why? What's it say? Our God will fight for us. Sometimes we just need to change our perspective. And it's easy to do when we reach a hard time. When you hit opposition, when you hit frustration, it's really easy to think, oh, this is just on me. Uh this all depends on me. You've got to remember, you are his child. And if you are facing ridicule, if you are facing against the work that God has called you to do, God, who is great, who is awesome, he will come and he will fight for you. And so per- personacity means you just pick up your tools and you get back at it. So he had prudence in how he handled the situation. He changed their perspective. And then lastly, uh, he worked for Protection of the community to protect his people. I want you to see that Nehemiah never left. He never left. He could have. This is getting rough. Good luck you guys. Give me, call me. My phone might be off. You might get my voicemail. Call you right back. Uh, that's not what he does. He, uh, he stays right there. Look at verse 23. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men. See all the personal uh, pronouns? I, my, my, all of us. We're not bailing on you guys. The guards with me, we're not even taking off our clothes. Each of us has our weapon, even when we go for water. Uh, that he works here to protect the community. And that's what leadership does. That's what uh, our session elders need to do. That's what our ministry leaders need to do. That we look to protect God's people. And we don't have really threats on our lives. But there's a lot of other kinds of threats. Mainly selfish Sort of threats. Changing things, this is how we've always done them. An opposition that wants to just stir up what? Stir up trouble. We need to learn that the community and unity of the community is important. And sometimes we need to protect each other. I put up here that they watched each other's backs. I really like that. Verse 16. From that day on, half my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears. That's what we're going to do. We got you guys. Imagine that you were there. You're, you're, you're one of these armed guys standing there in the work. Hey, keep going, you guys. We've got your back. You're doing a good job. Don't, you don't have to worry about a thing. Just keep, your, keep focused on the work. We got this. And they stood up for each other. All right. You guys got chapter four? Everybody feels like you got a good take on it? All right, let's find a couple of conclusions. Number one is this. The unity of the community is essential. We have to learn that from this. The unity of the community is essential. In the New Testament, there's a verse that I want to show you. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, The writer says this Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. This is is what he's telling the church to do: to encourage one another, spur one another on to good deeds. Stay unified, stay together. It's going to be hard. Well, none of us are perfect, so you're going to have friction, but stay after it. Stay together. Because unity is not a secondary option. Unity of the community is essential. I want you to know, too, that this extends beyond Grace Presbyterian. I hope that you hear many times from this pulpit that God's family is bigger than our denomination. And that I hate to see any moment where there is scoffing or there is a sense of one-upsmanship between churches that differ between denomination. We are all part of God's family. There needs to be unity. There's differences. Fine. There's differences. That's okay. Let there be differences. Our community meal that we do every, every month, fantastic opportunity to allow this, the name on the sign to come second to the fact that we all love and serve Jesus Christ. Amen. It's essential. All right, secondly, I want you to see this. Uh, The battle belongs to God, all right? But preparation is prudent. The battle is God's battle. It's not your battle. You're, You're not the one giving the orders. You're not the one that depends on for the victory. Jesus Christ has purchased the victory, so you're as good as one already. Just understand God is the one who will take care of the injustices. Do you ever feel like it wasn't fair? Anyone ever feel like that? It just wasn't, this wasn't fair at all. Um, every time I have served in ministry, there has been uh, individual or individuals who I have just, as a matter of prudence, have had to say, I just need to keep my distance from them. I believe that we're brothers in Christ, but I know that when we get together, there's something there. And you know what it is? It's indwelling sin is what it is. Because if we both saw ourselves at the foot of the cross, there'd be unity. But because we're still in this world, there's that friction. So you know what I decided to do? We're just going to keep our distance. And that's prudent. It's a smart decision. But you know what I didn't do when I heard him talking bad about me, when I heard him bad-mouthing me? You know what I didn't do? I didn't open my mouth to talk bad about him either who thinks that was easy i just had to i had to decide if you don't have anything good to say what don't say anything so we're ever talking about somebody and i'm not saying much you can infer maybe we don't get along (laughs) but the point is look if you don't have anything good to say don't open your mouth don't Pay back evil for evil. In fact, this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. It was our our New Testament reading. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at what? Yeah. So as much as you can control it, like you don't need to open your mouth against them. You don't need to pick up the phone and gossip to your girlfriend about it. Just, Just enough, right? Because as much as it depends on you, you can't control them. Let them keep talking. Let them keep saying what they're saying. As much as it depends on you. Live at peace with all mankind. Do not take revenge. (laughs) But God, I really want to. They have it coming. (laughs) But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. That's not for you. It's not for me. So live at peace. In fact, it goes on to say, you, you know what you should do if you have an enemy? Feed them. Yeah. You, you should do something nice for them. Uh, this is picking up a lesson that comes from the book of Proverbs. It says that by doing so, you'll be heaping burning coals on his head. I'd take 15 minutes to explain that, so I have to avoid that for now. Point being, what you want to do is try to do what Jesus does. So if someone strikes you on one cheek, you be prepared to turn the other. The battle belongs to God, but preparation is prudent. Maybe you need to just get your distance from somebody. Don't be part of the same ministry with them. Or maybe prudence for you means going and addressing it, saying, look, can we talk? I know we've not gotten along, and I'm not sure why, but you are my sister. You are my brother in Christ. We've got to solve this thing. That might be prudent preparation. All right, thirdly is this. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Sanballat and Tobiah... Are fools. They're jealous. They're selfish. They're trying to stir up trouble. And Nehemiah could have went straight out there and started his offer tit for tat, evil for evil, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, this passage kind of comes out of Proverbs. It says, don't answer a fool according to his folly or what? You will be just like. And that's what Nehemiah would have done. He would have sunk right down to their level. He could have stayed up here and taken the high road, right? But if you decided to answer them the way they were talking to him, he'd be no better than them. You're just like them then. So don't answer a fool according to their folly or you're going to be just like them. We'll have to look at Proverbs sometime in the passage that comes right after that. But in terms of what we see in Nehemiah right now, I want you to check the pattern of his life to know that he understood you don't repay evil for evil. Instead, he prayed to God. Lastly is this, last point, finish what you start. I learned that from my dad. If you start a job, finish. I, I tell that to my son like every week. <laughs> Trying to pass the lesson on, right? Look, listen, start what you finish. Start what you finish. Don't give up. Nehemiah didn't give up. It was hard and it got really hard. But he didn't give up. I want to take this last point and I want to apply it into our lives at a spiritual level as well. Because you and I are like $20 bills. That have been crumpled up, written on, some of us torn into pieces. Jeez, I just want to give up. I'm worthless. I don't want to, it ain't worth, I can't go anymore. This church is too much stress. I want to show you a couple of passages that Paul begins his letters with. Philippians 1, 3 and 4. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, in all of my prayers for you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What is Paul confident here? He's not saying, you Philippians, I'm confident in you. That's not what he says. He says, I'm confident in the one who has called you and that he who began to work will do what? He's going to finish it. He's going to finish what he started. Another passage out of 1 Corinthians. Again, at the beginning of Paul's letters, he puts it at the front of the letter. He says this, he will keep you strong till the end. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with the Son Jesus Christ our Lord is what? God is faithful. God is faithful. I want you to know church. That if you are struggling right now that is okay. Everybody's struggling. Say I'm struggling. We're all struggling. Don't give up. You have value no matter how crumpled your life looks, no matter how written on the story of your life looks. You have value before the King of Kings. I want to end with this story. It comes out of the Gospels. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be given over to death. And none of you here are going to stay with me. And Peter says, I will. That's Peter, right? Jesus, love Peter. I, even if everybody else leaves you, I won't leave you. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, before the rooster crows tonight, you're going to deny me not once, not twice. You're going to deny me that you even know me three times. Can you imagine being Peter? What? Uh Uh-uh. No way. Because he saw confidence in his own life. He thought he could do it in his own strength. Church, we got to give up doing things in our own strength. Because you remember the story? You remember what happened? There he was, confronted three times and three times, even calling down curses. I swear to God I don't know him. And right then the rooster crows. And what does he do? He turns and he meets Jesus' eyes and he remembers Jesus' words. And the text says that he went out and he wept. Just like me going out on the porch, hanging my head can't get it to work. I can't get it to work, right? I just, I don't know what the problem is. I can't get it to work. And Peter is, I have failed. I can't get it to work. If that's where you are at this morning, if you're at a place where you're just done, I just can't get this to work, I want to ask you to take your eyes off yourself and look back again to the author and the perfecter of your faith. He will keep you strong to the end and you will be blameless, not because of you, because of the blood of his son. Finish what you start. Let's pray.